Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Well, how about yourself? Yeah, very good, thanks. I'm back in my office finally. It's taken me a good three weeks to clean it up to the point that I can actually use it again. <laughs> nice. Was it just uh, full of storage or what did you have to do? Oh, it was just it just, just, just organized. Um, my wife needs to have a place to work as well, so I had to clean up the one desk. My standing desk was put together based on how I used to work. So I had to, I'm now reorganizing it to how I do work now. So it's still messy, but at least I can put machines on the desktop. Um, my challenge, is, and I was trying to solve this problem, I think I told you about this, my Mac. I've got a new Mac now, um, which I hoped would solve my problem with dual screens, um, has not solved my problem. So mm. I'm, I'm, I was trying to sort my desk out so that I could have my Mac with one extra screen, and then I've picked up a Windows machine as well, so I'm using the other screen for that machine. Um, so that's what I've done. I've, I've turned it into a multi-purpose work desk uh, on my standing desk. But I, it took me a bit of time to sort the cables out and, and make them neat and tidy and, and all that sort of stuff. So Maybe you need one of those like massive screens, it's like the size of two screens, so it just goes across. <laughs> Yeah, funny, funny you mentioned that's exactly what I've been thinking about. But I'd, I'd have to then replace the two arms that I've got. And I'm thinking this way is better because at the moment what I'm doing is I've, I've got work that I do on my Mac. There's a bit of development work that I'm doing on the Windows device. So I'm showing, I'm using one big screen for each one. Um, so it's, it's a bit more logical in that sense. I almost turn to the left and it's, and it's Mac and I turn to the right and I've got Windows. In, in a row, that's how I'm doing it. Um, so we'll see. I'm gonna, I'll test it out this week and see if that actually works from a productivity point of view. Yeah, well, let me know that it's funny um, to be using them side by side like that. Good comparison. Um, yeah. I, I made the radical decision last night to delete my Snapchat. Oh. Radical. Um, I probably hadn't used it in a year, um, at least, but just cleaning up. But, but what prompted you to media. go through and check for it? Just... Yeah, so actually getting new notifications for it. <laughs> so I had all my uh. notifications turned off, so it wasn't really bothering me. But then I started getting emails, and I don't know if there's like a rise of spam bots, like trying to follow people on the platform because. Um, I talked to someone else and they were also getting new Snapchat emails. So I don't know if it's a service or whatever. So I'm getting new notifications or if it's just pure spam. But either way, I was like, I don't need this in my life anymore. Um, everyone has pretty much, I think people do still send Snapchats. Um, and, you know, for my use case, it was mostly people sending snaps of their kids. So I always felt like I had to go on and watch all the videos of the kids, which was fun, but 
it's all spread out across all the platforms. So spending like five minutes a day just to check all the videos on Snapchat was like, I just stopped doing it after a while. So there we go. It's, it's a platform I never used. So um, I don't even, even have a frame of reference to comment other than um, I had the same experience with Facebook after all, all of a sudden, they started started emailing me notifications of people interacting with my with my page or whatever. I had to go and turn that off again. So I don't know if they like have a when you turn something off, if there's not like a, an automatic reactivation after a period of time because they want you to come back to the platform. That could be, but it definitely had the unintended consequence, I'm sure, of me leaving. <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't be the only one who was like. Why do why did why do I need notifications for an app I literally never open? Um, I think once you know once the other platforms started to add like stories and you know reels and features like that, Snapchat struggled to be relevant. I don't know. I I think if I was a teenager, I'd still be using it, but I'm not. So <laughs> here we are. I'm glad to have one fewer social media platform in my life. Yeah, 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 I could believe that. Um, uh, I, I definitely think that social media has, to, to a large extent, at least from what I've seen, lost its um, its appeal for a lot of people. And and it is good. And it's, I mean, I was telling my mom about this. You know, the only reason I still keep my Facebook account is one, so someone doesn't steal it. Um, but two, if I need to buy and sell something, uh, on, second, on a second-hand market. Facebook Marketplace works really well. Um, and that's the only reason I really keep the, the app going. Um, the Facebook Messenger helps because sometimes someone doesn't have your, your WhatsApp details or your your phone number, um, but they can still, still get you on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, you know, I do have, and I do have occurrences of that every so often. But other than that, it's very much a reactive tool. The, the, the reactive things for me, I don't go there looking to see what's going on. Or even LinkedIn, I've stopped going on to. Um, I find that's also become quite quite messy. Yeah, I turn off all my notifications for all my social medias and um, have felt better for it. Definitely check it way less. LinkedIn, I probably check a few times a week to accept connection requests and that kind of thing. Or sometimes it's interesting to see what others post, but you're right. There's definitely a lot of just noise in the platform that makes it, I don't know. Yeah. Unenjoyable or less relevant to interact with because people are, you know, finding ways to beat the algorithm. And there was like a joke going around for a long time that, and I think this is probably still true that polls, um, LinkedIn likes to promote when you put a poll out. So it's like people would put out, just use the poll feature just for the heck of getting engagement. So like your whole feed would be littered with LinkedIn polls. <laughs> I remember that. That went on for quite a while, actually. Yeah. Um, Maybe they tweak the so algorithm a little bit eventually. <laughs> well, someone was saying to me that if you want to, and, you know, for a lot of people, and I'm one of them, the only reason I really keep going with LinkedIn mostly is is for professional news or notification exercise but even that's become noisy so and then the secondary reason is jobs you know either to hire people or to or to find something else 
And what I found, or what I was listening to today, I think think it was a Seth Godin episode, is people think that in order to, they, they always have to gamify their LinkedIn profile. So they have to contribute there every day and they have to, have a lot of connections and whatever it is to get them to get jobs. And I don't know if that's that's entirely true. So I don't know if the algorithm actually works that way. I think what happens is that, that a recruiter will buy a service from LinkedIn, use the LinkedIn data, which is going to be all your metadata, to filter their search criteria so they can reach out to you to 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 recruit you. I think that's probably what happens more often than, than not. If you're not already using your contacts, your connections um in a role um so so if you know so for example you see a job advertised by a company and you see that you have a friend you use them i say use them to get into the recruiter's channel quicker by, by getting referred in um which usually bypasses an external recruiter and gets you in front of an internal recruiter which is what these most these companies are incentivized to do, which is to use an internal um, recruiter to save costs. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would say there is that it's almost like Facebook in this way or other profiles that there's like a minimum amount you need populated to appear like a real person. So it helps to have connections and a photo and you know your relevant job experience and some bullet points and I think whether or not you are creating content on LinkedIn and engaging with posts is probably the less relevant part but just having like a filled out profile is going to help you get um, noticed by recruiters on LinkedIn if that's your goal yeah yeah exactly um and I mean, I, I used to get a few of these um, reach outs every so often, but even now, it, it, there's so much noise because there's, you know, and, and that's a lot of these outsourced development shops reaching out saying, oh, we can help you build your whatever, et cetera, thing. And you're just, and you're just sort of saying, well, I don't have the energy to talk to every single one of you, so you just ignore them all. Because it's, yeah, just, it's just noise. There's a lot of selling and prospecting that happens on LinkedIn because, you know, it's another channel to reach people who um, might not pick up the phone, right? Or like, I don't even have a corporate, so I probably shouldn't say that in case anyone is listening and trying to prospect to me, but I don't have a corporate phone number right now. So if someone wants to reach me, they either have to you know, to, to try to sell me something, they have to find um, my email, probably using a site like ZoomInfo or um, try to find me on social media. But I'm like you, I don't, my LinkedIn inbox is so noisy that um, it's like, how would you even, I don't know, how do you decide who to pay attention to, right? There's not enough differentiation there when it comes to the messages that come in. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. Uh, and I used to be very good about it. Now I'm not. Um, and and even with uh, even with email now, um, I, I find it, even that I'm I'm putting more and more on the back burner. I mean, someone sent me something on on Teams now saying, "Oh, I sent you an email about this last week," and I replied to them saying, "Well, 
if you send me stuff on email, I can't guarantee I'm going to read it because I get so many every day. And I'm not saying there's thousands and millions, but just sitting down to read an email that's long frustrates me. I'd rather it was it was typed to me or or put in a Word document or even in Notion now. Uh, I'm asking guys to put things in a Notion page because I find I can read through it so much quicker and it's more structured. Whereas an email tends to be, I don't know, just feels feels like the wrong wrong place to put it, especially if you're sharing knowledge. You know, emails are great if you say, "Oh, I need to, I need your help with this, please." Can we book a, book in some time? Yeah, you know, that that's sort of a, a functional use for email, but sending the architecture of the solution as an email isn't helpful because now I've got to keep the email. I've got to move that email into a knowledge place. Yeah. No, I'm there with you. I think um, things get lost. Email search is notoriously bad. So then like managing that becomes uh, a headache. And um, you're right with shared cloud docs. It's like anything that you can put in a shared cloudy location so that it's referenceable later um yeah link or however is preferable i think for actually referencing things um especially when it's like if someone sends me you know a document that's no longer that's um an attachment right that isn't uh connected to the cloud like that is the bait of my existence than trying to go find that um again versus if it was a you know, an office online um, link that I could just reference through, you know, my OneDrive, my SharePoint, whatever. Yeah, well, that, and that's the point. It's, it's all that come together in a way that is um, not just efficient at the time, but also effective for the medium to, to medium to long term. So if, if there's stuff that, um, like this example of this architecture for the system, you know, that's something that's that's going to be referenceable for many people, not just just to me. That should be on a shared place, and whether, whether it's a Wikipedia application inside of Teams or whatever it is, rather send a link to it than send in an email, because an email it's the same as your post. Uh, in fact, someone once said to me that he he treats email the same way that he treats his post. It piles up to the point that it falls over, and then he starts going through it. Um. So it's not it's not meant to be an, an instant messaging or a quick um, reply mechanism. It's meant to be something that obeys, you know, something functional. And uh, I think I think it's overused for too many other things. It's kind of back to our, our, our episode ages ago around getting rid of email. Yeah, I think you know it has. You know, it will always have its place. I think. Um, I don't know if it's possible to rein in all of the communication channels, um, especially like the user-generated ones now. But it is—it's almost like we're 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 in need of, and I think it varies from organization to organization, right? But you have to establish like some, or maybe it could even be team by team. But I think it helps if it's organization-wide, right? Like establishing some. Um, some rules of engagement for when you use Teams versus email versus calling. It's like the more shared expectations there are around those kind of things, um, more seamlessly you can communicate. But it's like 
you know, it goes back to things like how many hours in our days do we spend doing meetings, but how many people are practicing any sort of meeting etiquette in terms of, you know, sending documents in advance or any of the things you can do to try to make a meeting more effective. It's like those little things kind of tend to get unequal treatment or lost or people don't get really trained on them. So everyone's kind of making it up for themselves. Yeah, I think I sent you an article on on making Zoom meetings fun. Um, and one of the things was to send meeting information uh, in advance prior to the meeting. Um, I mean, I personally think someone just needs to avoid having the meeting. Um, if you can share the information in a collaborative way, like on a, on a channel in Teams or, or Slack or whatever you, your preference is. Uh, and then if you still can't get it sorted out, it's on I, over IM, then you have the, the meeting. Uh, but at least then everyone knows what they're talking about. Um, to, you know, there's a bit of context. But there was something also around when you have that meeting, um, the first two or three minutes, you've got to take into account that people have just come off probably another another video call meeting. So whether it's Teams or, or Zoom or something else, and you've got to make it, you know, make it a, have like a, 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 a relaxing start. So some sort of joke or talking about something non-work related just to get everyone a chance to have a breather and then get into the, the content um, and then also finish on something like that. So when you when you finish the call for the last minute or so, also make it a relaxing end so people leave the, leave the meeting positive. Yeah, and I, I would say from personal experience that um, you kind of, I you know, I know the people who are going to crack jokes or bring up something random or um, – kind of bring that levity to any interaction, any situation. And it's always a pleasure to work with those people because you kind of know that, you know, it's going to have that more relaxed atmosphere that there's, um, I don't know, it just feels comfortable to have those kind of interactions, but it's easier said than done. There's like a fine line, right? You don't want to spend um, 10 minutes <laughs> like cracking jokes at the top of a meeting. It's, if it's a tough meeting, you don't want to you don't want to go into that making jokes, but um, maybe that's the right thing to to do. Uh, it depends on the tone. But I talk about the sort of you know we have daily meetings and we have um, weekly team meeting. You know those are ones where um, we speak in all the time. So you need to you need to maybe make it a little bit less than the drag, and it can sometimes feel like it's going to be. Um, but those meetings also serve a purpose, and they're also quite short. You know, 15 minutes may maximum one is 45 minutes. That's the max. The rest are short, 15 minutes. Sometimes they're done in 10. Um, so there's not a lot of time there to mm. to make jokes. But often, you know, if, if I come in and usually I'm on time or, or, you know, just there a minute or two late, the guys are talking about something, you know, let them finish talking about it. It could be how was the weekend. It could be something that they're watching or, or you know, a topic that they're interested in. And we talk, might talk about that for five minutes. And then you have the, the rest of the meeting, which is quite quick because, you know, typically we are meeting regularly. But they feel, I can see it in the, in the mood that the people are a lot more engaged. Um, and because the teams are remote, you need a way to let them get to know each other. Um, and Mary, who joined us recently, she, she started a thing on a Friday which is calling tea coffee time. And that's just half an hour in the diary where they just talk, they talk about random topics. Um, from what was your favorite cartoon as a kid to, I can't remember what last week's one was, but 
you know, they just talk about it for an hour, share some pictures and stuff. It just it just becomes, you know, a way of, of getting to know each other. Yeah. Um, when I talked to Ben the other week, he mentioned that Microsoft does a similar thing where they have they encourage people to have time on their um, on their calendars where they're not that's explicitly not for work. It's just to have those social interactions. So I think there's something to that in a remote environment. Yeah, yeah, it makes a big difference. I've, I've noticed it makes a big difference. And I've, even though I've got, I'm now in the same country as almost some of my staff. Um, I, I've gone to the office now twice, and there's been no one there. Um, you've got to, you've got to embrace these other ways because I would say anecdotally, based on that kind of, there's no one in the office. There's a, there's a majority that don't want to go back into a daily grind of going to an office. They're quite happy to work remotely. So you need to find ways to connect with them. Absolutely. And to find time to do to do brain work. Um, you know, I, I'm finding still that what I'm missing from my, my South Africa days is I had, I had an extra two hours every morning to do brain work, and I don't have that anymore. And I've noticed that that's affecting my, my strategic thinking. So I'm mm. not starting up earlier. Once my kids start sleeping through again. So that's into the time zone. Uh, well, I think my daughter's going through a growth spurt, so she's not sleeping through. So she's she's been waking up at about 3 a.m. Um, the last couple of days, the last few days. And then when she wakes up, she wakes my son up. Um, and we've just put him into a single bed. So I can't sleep in the same bed as him, but he wants me to lie with him. So I sleep on the floor. Needless to say, I'm exhausted by the time the day comes through. Um, once that stuff settles down, which it will settle down, um, I can see myself getting up uber, you know, really early, doing that thinking time, and then then starting the day. Yeah, gotta gotta make it work. Um, that sounds a little. I don't know. That doesn't yeah. sound fun to me. So waking up super early to have, I mean, it's, it's the, um, the uninterrupted time sounds nice. The having to wake up super early to do that sounds painful, but that's just me. Well, if, so, so, so the reality is if you want to go to bed, if you want to wake up early, you go to bed early. Um, and by the end of the day, anyway, I mean, the nice, we'd make, where it's tough now in the UK, and I think you guys did in the US as well, is the days are longer. Um, yep. So the sun, the sun went down eight thirty last night, which really messes your messes you up because then you think, in your without checking the time, you think you've still got the evening to come, and you haven't realised that you're already past the evening, um, and it's and it's time for bed anyway. So eight thirty, you know, we're, we're sort of targeting to go to bed by nine nine thirty usually. Um, that's kind of drifting out to the ten ten thirty. So we've got to bring that back. And then getting up at five, six in the morning is actually quite easy because if you've gone to bed early and you get your seven hours of sleep, um, you're waking up five, six in the morning anyway. Um, so it's, it's very doable. We just got to just got to make that change. Yeah, I think yeah, that consistent bedtime wake up is super important. Um, I have I've personally tried a lot of like sleep diary, sleep tracking kind of things in the past to try to fix my own 
um, you know, rhythms there. And I think I just have like a late circadian rhythm. Um, because even, even going to bed early, I could still without an alarm easily sleep, um, into almost the afternoon. <laughs> so just the struggle of being a night owl in a, you know, in, uh, in a corporate job. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the challenge is, um, this is, this is, I saw my wife, she started her job last week and, um, we're doing, um, I, I, I was covered for a lot of people while she was on training and the rest of it. So we alternate quite a lot. And she was saying on the on the drive home today from the gym that, oh, you know, she's got this meeting and, you know, people must have known that she's not on, on from nine o'clock. And I said, no, that's not how it works anymore for you. And the results aren't out of world. No one cares really if you're online at nine o'clock every day on time. What they care about is what you're putting out. Now, if someone were to put a meeting in your diary while you're at the gym, for, for nine o'clock and you don't see it but you've booked out you've put in your diary that you're a gym that's their fault that's not your fault and you shouldn't feel any anxiety for being there because it wasn't in your it wasn't in your plan um but in the same token you can't spend your entire day you know out doing all your home stuff and then not work that that day at all and then then not expect to be called to be called out on it if you know what i mean the results, the results always need work. You need to be working a little bit every day to, make, to, to reach those results. But how you get there and the times you're available, generally speaking, are, are up to you. If that makes sense. I don't know if it does, but I kind of off, ruffled around a little bit. No, it makes sense. I think, you know, the integrated working piece is something that is becoming more normal or that flexibility is like having some of that is, expected like I try to take um I try to go for a midday walk now because that's something that I missed from my Mm -hmm. past commutes is I was always walking into the office and you know that that was I I walked commute so I miss that activity um so I've been doing it midday now which I don't I I sometimes feel guilty about but I try not to one I'm not it's not like I'm walking for hours it's not you know excessive in that way and then two um I work earlier than I would have if I was commuting in so I could either you know walk in the morning and start work later or I could start work earlier and walk in the afternoon which is what I prefer to do so um but yeah I think you have to um as long as you're you know blocking things off and being clear with people and I think you know the last minute meeting on your calendar without communication should be a rare thing anyway so I think it's more normal now yeah yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's about it, I think, for me. Yeah, no, I uh, think I mean, we're... I sent, you a few, I, I, I sent you a few things to have a read, listen to and, and read through. I mean, the one that I, I sent you, which mm-hmm. we can talk about next next time, is, uh, I don't know why Siri thought that they need, I need the weather right now, um, is is uh, a VR, AR episode from the, the, the Restless, I think it's called The Restless podcast that I listened to. Um, which I really enjoyed. What's it called? The Restless Ones. Seeing and sensing the world at your fingertips. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Yeah, we'll see that one yeah. next time. Um, cool. Great. Uh, well, yeah, um, I think we're at time anyway. So it was good catching up.
Yeah, super. Thanks, Heather. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, Ryan. Cheers, sir. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.